This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to the iFanboy Pick the Week podcast, episode 349, brought to you by Graphically and iFanboy listeners like you. Fanboy Pick the Week Podcast, episode 349, We Won't Quit. <laughs> My name is Ron Richards, and I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hi, Ron. And filling in for Josh, who we affectionately know around the office as Glasses, is Paul Montgomery. Why am I here again? <laughs> because it's vacation time. It is vacation. Like- August is vacation time. So at okay. iFanboy. Um, but we are from the website iFanboy.com, which is all dedicated to comic books and the love of comic books. Uh, and every week we read a stack of comics, and then we come here to talk about uh, the pick of the week, which was the book that one person decides was their pick of the week. Um, and they write a review of it over at iFanboy.com. Then we come back here to talk about it, as well as answer your questions, you get, you know, tune into what the iFanboy community is digging in the world of comics, and just whatever else that makes us laugh. Sometimes we rip off other podcasts. That's what happens. Um, <laughs> before we get to the show, I want to 
warn you that we're going to talk about what happens in the comics. So if you haven't read your comics, they might get spoiled. So um, just be warned. You might want to press pause, come back, listen later, or just, you know, you might have the key plot point revealed. Um, so this week, I was scheduled with the pick of the week, but uh, with great power comes great responsibility, as, a, as Stan, Stan Lee once told us. And um, in honor of uh, the release of Scalp number 60, I went to Connor. I said, I think I got to step aside. I think we need to switch weeks. Well, what happens? I had to pick last week, and, and we have we switch weeks all the time when one of us can't do the, sh- the show. Yeah, because travel schedules and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it normally balances out. Like sometimes some somebody has one extra or two extra or something like that, but normally it balances out. But I don't think we've ever skipped specifically for a pick. Although I, I remember many years ago during Blackest Night, Josh was lamenting that he couldn't pick uh, Starman as pick of the week when they had that new Starman issue, and yeah. I said, "Why don't you just ask me to switch? I would have switched because." At the end of the day, no one's gonna die. Right. So and it's also uh, and it's also I read my stack early on Wednesday, and I didn't have a big stack, so I ended pretty quickly. And I talked to Ron, and I said, "Hey, what's your pick?" And he's like, "Well, I have a pick, but it's, I'm not like super in love. You know, it's not the best book I've ever read." I said, "Well, then I really would like to switch with you because I think I need to write about scalps." So yeah, and which and which I told and now here and now here's the thing is that and the exact conversation we had was like scalped. I respect the work Jason Aaron and Garrett have done. I you know I know there's a lot of f- fan of following. I'm reading in trades, and so I didn't even get the issue, and so I felt you know yeah sometimes it's okay to step aside. So Connor, take it away. So scalp number sixty is the pick of the week, the final issue of scalped, and if you remember. 59 was also the pick of the week, which came out, like I think, six weeks ago. I think there was a two-week delay on this issue for whatever reason. It was supposed to come out originally during Comic-Con. It actually might have been a two-month. It might uh-huh. have been a month delay. Either Anyway, Scalped, is, this was for the eighth time uh, in, in its run. Scalped was the pick of the week. And, Paul, you are also re- kind of reading Scalped, correct? Yeah, I'd like Ron, I read it in, in trades, but I, I jumped ahead for this because I don't care. How far were you in the, in the story when you jumped? Were at the uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, there's stuff going on in the reservation. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, so uh, it'll be kind of a monologue, but uh, you guys can chime in. Um, Scalped is a is a series from Vertigo Comics. Uh, Jason Aaron's writer Arm Guerra has done most of the issues, although David Fierno, I can't think of his name right now, he did a couple of the great issues. Actually, he got two picks of the week because his arc was fantastic. But this this wraps it all up. And if you recall from the last issue, it ended pretty much with. The two main characters and the third character, who's been the most important character other than the two main characters, uh, standing in a burning casino pointing guns at each other. And the final shot was them pulling the triggers. And so we, we had to wait two months or so to figure out what happened after the triggers were pulled. And uh, as it turns out, Red Crow, who is the, has been the sort of bad guy, the Tony Soprano of the whole series, and, uh, and Catcher, who was, turns out to be the murderer, who, who's the murderer of... Dashiel's mother, who was the main character, Dashiel Badhorse, and that murder has driven the whole storyline. Uh, they turned their guns away from Dashiel and shot up each other because they're the ones who really hit each other the most. Catcher thinks that Red Horse is evil, and Red Horse knows Catcher killed the woman he loved. So Red, Red Crow? Red Crow. Red, Crow. Red, Red Horse, Horse or something, somebody else. Yeah, Red Crow. So That's what we're here for. <laughs> two of the three guys got shot up, and the, and the third guy uh, lived to tell the tale. Although Red Crow didn't die, he just got shot up really badly. And then but, basically, but, but, wait, wait, but what happened to Red Horse? Red Horse is at a saloon. Okay. <laughs> uh, isn't Red Horse a saloon? It's a saloon at something. Anyway, well, basically the point is we talked about in the last issue how it, it had to end badly and bloody and kind of did in that the first part of this issue was the shootout aftermath. And then, of course, FBI agent Nitz, who's also been kind of a factor in the whole series, showed up to kill Catcher because Catcher also, in addition to killing Red, Red uh, Bad Horse's mother, killed some FBI agents. So he kills Catcher. Catcher kills him in the fire. And so... Uh, the Red Crow and Dashiel will make it out alive as the two other guys die. And then we jump ahead three issues, three months, and we get the, as I said in my review, sort of the, what has become known around here as the Six Feet Under ending, which, you know, <laughs> tells you where everyone sort of goes with their life later. Now, and everyone's this, in you, white did, pajamas. Did you and... put the Sia song on in the background as you read it? or? And it, it doesn't go as far. I mean, it doesn't take them forever. We just basically see where they are three months later, and we get a sort of a sense of where they're going to go with their lives uh, we don't follow them all the way to death, like like with Six Feet Under, which still, God, what an ending! Oh God, it's going to make me cry just talking about it. Um, but uh, we we see that some of these characters have found happiness, and some have not found happiness, and some are still searching for happiness, and and it really ends. And it's not an ambiguous, uh, it's not an um, ambiguous ending. It's not a definitive ending. It basically hints at where these characters are going to go, and then and then they go. And it's for me, you couldn't have ended the series more perfectly. Jason Aaron, when he started this series, 
was not a big name in comics. He had just come. He had done the other side for for Virgo. He he was sort of a new guy in the block, and now at the end of it, five plus years later, he's you know one of the biggest guys at Marvel. He's writing some of their flagship books. He's clearly one of the most talented guys in comics, as well as one of the nicest guys in comics. And it's interesting to see how much his career has changed in the, in, in that sort of five year time span. And and the fact is, he's been a great writer from the beginning, and if, and the, and that he has guided this series for for this long. Um, is a testament to his ability because it's a really intricate series. It's a really, it's a really uh, subtle series. It's about it's about hope and family and love and also horrible violence and despair on the reservation. And it's 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 as intricate and as interesting and as well done as any you know long form television show. I, I compared to, compared to Breaking Bad. Uh, and it's sort of the same similar tone, and it's as good uh-huh. as that is. Um, well, I mean, it's it's interesting because you know J- Jason Aaron, you know, it, he's a favorite writer of all of us for different reasons. Yep. Um, and he, you know, he's like like you said, he's not. I mean, it's not as if he's, you know, he doesn't have this large body of work. I mean, really, he's been around for what, like, what seven years, maybe. Like around there, six, six, seven years, and this is one of his earliest works. And now, you know, like you talk about with you know creators and and what they do, the this is one of the coveted. You know, he's got a run. Yep, he's, he's got a, he he's got a sixty issue. That's the magic number. That was why the last man, whatever. He's got a sixty issue Vertigo run that has been a success, and that's something a lot of creators don't ever get under their belt, much less get one that everyone likes and loves. And that's what you know, like, and so it's it's an accomplishment. You know, like he can totally check that off his bucket list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not done from what they've said in interviews. They he, he and artist Arm Gare, who we're going to talk about in a second. Are hiring another independent, you know, run together as much awesome. as a vertical book is independent as it isn't really. Um, they're eyeing another creator-owned or creator participation book together. So they should. Uh, they they, clear, they clearly clicked. So oh, absolutely. And yeah. Aram Guerra, who we should talk about, no no book looks like Scalped. Yeah, he he has a style all of its own. It's very authentic looking, and he's in Spain drawing a reservation in in North Dakota, and everyone looks. Like you suppose they should look, and everyone has a distinct face, and the acting is wonderful. There's a great silent panels in this issue where you don't need a dialogue to understand what the characters are feeling, and mm-hmm. and it's, there's no other. I don't ever pick up a scalp or another book and think, wow, this looks a lot like scalp because scalp looks like it's like its own thing. And Armgera is as big of a star on this book as Jason Aaron is. I don't think you can have this book be as good as it is without him. And I think uh, he he's he's a superstar. In this little niche of people who read scalped, yeah, and, and as far as far as I know, I mean, I don't know for sure, and I should probably ask Jason next time I talk to him. But like, he got paired with Arm Guerra by by Will Dennis, right? Like, didn't he by the editor at Vertigo? Like, it wasn't like they came with this idea. He's like, I've got this script, and they said, okay, we're going to put this this artist yeah. artist with you. Yeah, yeah. He actually didn't even meet Arm Guerra until was it last Comic Con when we were there when they yeah. met. Was it last Comic Con of the year, New York Comic Con of the year before? I think it was. Didn't two... talk about there being like a like a little bit of a language barrier. At least oh yeah, there the was. Yeah, because he's Spanish, right? Or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was two New York Comic Cons ago when they met for the first time. Yeah. It was, yeah. it, it's just amazing their collaboration. It's a no brainer that they should be working together again. They they get along really well. But um, Paul, since having read this, not having read the whole series, what did you make of this issue? I thought it was a, a really it's 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 both a really visceral ending and a really poetic ending. Like I really liked um, Dash just sitting on the hill and thinking to himself about this is his home. This is you know no matter how much trouble it's given him and how much trouble he's given it. Um, that will always be like, he'll always be connected to this reservation, this place and hitching out of there. And, and you include in the best panels of the week, um, that last page. And, and, um, I think that's a perfect way to go. And we talk about what are the best, what are the best series finales? What are the best finales in comics? Um, Endings are hard, and really hard. I think they they stuck this one because it's so yeah, because it's so it's so open ended. But it it you have all of the satisfying concluding beats and like you know who dies and how and stuff and um you know so there's that that poetry at the end. But then you know the beginning you talk about it being you know like multiple you know gut shots and I love that 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 it's the bottom of a page where where Dash is walking away from Red Crow and. It's just like the smear, yep, of of darkness, and and it's it it mirrors you know what's going on with this guy's you know gut you know, and it's just uh, 
just a really powerful way for two people to part, but then they're also connected by that black smear. I was just really struck by that particular. The art panel. is visceral, and the art, the art, and the art it tells as much of a story as the as the as the writing does. I think also, in terms of the second half, when we find out everyone ends up, some of some people are, ends up in very different places than when they started, but it's all within character. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Red Crow ends up basically abdicating all of his power. And he goes off to live, sort of as as his ancestors did, all, you know, in a, in a teepee off the land. And but that's also within him. He's throughout the series. He's been he's been very much a Indian rights person. He's always talked about the ancestors. And so it wasn't like total, re, you know, left turn that he did that. He finally decided the only way to be happy is to get rid of all the stuff around him that's caused all this pain and just go live off the land by himself. And I really love the ending for Carol. Carol is Red Red uh, Crow's daughter and the mother of. Uh, Dashiell's son that he doesn't know about, who was a who was a drug addict, and she has sort of become the force for good on the reservation, and that also was within her character. She just was too weak to do it earlier, and then finally the saddest one of all was the kid with the one eye, who's tur- basically becoming the new Red Crow, who was who was a once a nice little kid on the on the reservation who made some bad decisions, and now has come down this path where he is having multiple bodies buried and shooting people and clearly going to be the next crime boss on the, on the reservation. So there's, there's sadness in the ending, there's hope, there's love, there's all these things that have always wrapped up in Scalped, all found in this issue, and uh, just wonderful, a wonderful series, and I'm, I'm you know, sad it's gone, but also happy that we got this complete story now that we can, that we can go back and look at. It's, it's mm-hmm. always sad to see it come to an end, you know. But. Yeah, and if you go back in our old shows, our old video shows, our old barbecue shows where we talked about our top five, it was always in, in me and Josh's top five. It was for the last how many years. So it's always been one of the best series, yep. if, if not the one. The best. What, do you, what do you want to see them do next, those two together? I don't even know. I think they've. I think almost like they've got to go a different direction, don't they? I think something more like like dragons, Dungeons and Dragons kind of fantasy <laughs> kind of stuff. I think that's that's probably what's best. Like I want to see like an elf and like a halfling. Well, they talk <laughs> about. They you talk don't about want it. to see any of that. <laughs> yeah, I do about, actually. They talk about that in the in this issue about yeah. or isn't Dash talking about how he used to pretend that he he wanted to write epic yes. fantasy stuff? Yeah, and yeah. About elves and dwarves and stuff. Well, like I have that. a feeling that it, if Aaron's doing that, it's gonna be in Thor. So. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. No, maybe, maybe we can get like a buddy comedy. Like, they, you could know, do my, they could do My Little Pony. Yeah, they have My Little Pony. They go to IDW, do My Little Pony. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> the funniest thing about Scalp and Jason Aaron is if you only know Scalp, if you only know him through Scalp, you think he's probably the scariest dude. And you know, and then he looks kind of like the scariest dude. He's got a shaved head and a giant beard. But then you meet him, he's like a giant teddy bear who's very, very funny. Yeah. So it just shows you the range of, of skill he has when you look at this book versus Wolverine and the X-Men. Dude, yeah, is, dude is hysterical. I, I'll never. I think it was at WonderCon, was it? Where we interviewed him, and you, you asked about the ending of Scalped, and <laughs> and and he promised that there would be a barbecue and a softball game. And as yeah. far as I know, there isn't one in this issue, and so I'm upset. The liar. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ron, let's let's shift gears to the book that we would have talked about at the top of the show had had we not switcherooed everything. Yeah, so the the book that I was going to pick as pick of the week, which I actually started writing, uh, was and it's, it should come as no surprise uh, before Watchmen, Doctor Manhattan. No, I'm <laughs> totally kidding. Um, uh, the The Rocketeer number one by Mark Wade and Chris Omni. Cargo um, of Doom being the subtitle. Yeah, yeah, the Rocketeer Cargo of Doom number one. Um, really, there was no other book that I was more excited to read. There was no other book that made me smile. There was no other book that just fucking got it than the Rocketeer. Um, oh god, it was so good. It was so good. Um I actually got the the variant cover with all the Dave Stevens art, which is, oh, really? which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um uh but yeah, and ultimately it, it, the thing is and the thing about it is that we've seen Wade and Somni work together um on Daredevil. We've seen Wade work on Daredevil, uh, not on Daredevil, on The Rocketeer in the various anthologies that IDW has been putting out. Um I'm not sure if Somni's gotten to play in that pool yet or if this no, is his first hasn't. Rocketeer but but I knew that Chris Somni would be great at The Rocketeer because I'll tell you a little story. Um, San Diego Comic-Con two years ago when they when the artist edition, the Dave Stevens artist edition, Rocketeer artist edition came out. Was that two years right. ago? Yeah, God, uh, sounds right. So two or long. three, yeah. Oh, God, I'm so old. Um, so got my copy there at San Diego and, of course, bragged about it on Twitter. So did, And uh, Josh was talking about it on Twitter. And Somni responded and goes, oh, I forgot to order that. And so we just we reached out. We're like, hey, we'll pick you up. We'll pick one up for you. And so we picked one up for him. I got the the job of mailing it to Chris, and then Chris thanked me in return, you know, and and of course paid us back. And and he's like, "Can I, you know, can I get, you know, can I do, can I give you a sketch to thank you for shipping this to me?" 
And I'm not going to turn down a Chris Omni sketch. And so he's like, I said, yeah. Just, so what do you want? And I said, well, might as well keep it in the family. Do a Rocketeer. So he did me a Rocketeer that is probably one of the best sketches I have. I have it framed. Um, and from that moment on, I'm like, I would kill to see Somni on the Rocketeer. And now that dream has come true, and he totally delivered on it. I think it's, he, it looks better here than he does in Daredevil. I totally agree. I think this looks much. And I don't know if oh, it's yeah. because I don't know if it's because of Jordy Blair on colors, and because uh, I don't know who's coloring him on Daredevil or like his approach on this issue. But like, if I had to choose Wade and Somni on Rocketeer or Wade and Somni on Daredevil, I'm totally taking Rocketeer. Absolutely. I think yeah. this is more of his style. Yep. That style he draws in with his sketches and the style he seems to like. Yep. It, it's something about it. I don't know. You're right. I think the coloring might be a lot to do with it, but I think also the style is a little Because the coloring really is good. I mean, when you flip through the pages, it's, I mean, it jumps right off the page. But, but yeah, Somni's like the, the, the thing where he knows how to draw from shadow and not just add in shadow later. Well, and what, that's the big thing. What's great about that, and on the colors, I think we just need to tip our hat to Jordi Belair, who's yep. who's really building momentum to be one of the premier colorists in the in the industry. Like everywhere I turn, her name is on her name is on the project. Yeah. Um, yep. So great job on Jordi. But yeah, but Paul, you're absolutely right. Uh, Somni's ability to handle shadow and like going back to that sketch, I should scan it, and put it up. It, I had that sketch for a year before I noticed. So basically, the sketch is the Rocketeer flying in front of a big Zeppelin, which is just awesome. I think I've tweeted it before. I think I posted it when I first got it. And a year into having the sketch, I realized that the white shadows on the Zeppelin are shadows of planes. Oh, really? Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, come on. Really? <laughs> I was like, and I was like, holy shit. Like, it blew when my When do mind. you see that kind of detail in a sketch? Like, yeah. you know. Like let alone in a in a book. That's oh, that's amazing. God. But um, but so yeah. So his sensibility on this is great. And really, like, and w- the, the, for Wade and Somni to be like the thing was the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer is so revered and so loved and so you know like put on this pedestal by all of us because it was just it was you know two series. Dave Stevens' finest work. He passed away. Like there's so much you know drama with it, and we all felt a little nervous. Similar with the Watchmen projects, to be honest, when they started yep. doing those anthologies, because you're like you know I don't know if I want Rocketeer stories by other creators. Yep. But those anthologies really kind of eased us into it and realized okay these creators can celebrate this character and get it right and you know and I think editor Scott Dumbier over at IDW is playing this really close you know to, to the vest you know to make sure that it's right so we go from anthologies now to doing another series and you know for Wade and Sonny these are big shoes to fill and this is totally in the spirit of Dave Stevens. It totally fits within the world of the Rocketeer, and it it doesn't it doesn't tre it doesn't stomp all over the grave or any of that. It's just you know it's just another great tale with this great character that Dave Stevens created. And honestly, like I'm I'm fine with getting over that sentimental you know like you know holding on to it and le- letting you know two top tier creators do something with it and do something great with it. So and Wade did one of the best. Anthology stories, one of yeah. the, one of our favorite ones in that first run. He, I mean, he really he his sensibility too is perfect for Rocketeer. It's yeah. sort of it's sort of uh, old school. It's very hopeful. It's it's kind of swashbuckling. Yeah, it's a similar. Uh, sensibility to Daredevil, actually. Oh yeah, very very similar. So so I mean, so we're going on and on about the stories and the creators, but just quickly on the story, um, it takes place in 1940, so it's before World War II, but after the other Rocketeer stories that Dave Stevens did. So that's where it fits in the in the in the um, in the world, and it's just got all the elements that you need. It's got you know, it's got it's um, uh, Cliff Secord and and um, and what's PV? Is his name PV or what is the yeah. Old guy? Yeah, PV, and you know they're you know trying to get their plane uh, approved. And they're they're always on the edge of, of disaster, and um, you know, a, and something happens, and it keeps Cliff from going on a date with uh, with not Betty Page, um, with with Betty, Betty and Betty. you know, and he's got the t- you got the typical kind of you know the kind of conflicts, and then there's a thr- he can't win with Betty, he, he can't, win, can't with win with Betty, he can never win with Betty. Um, we get we get introduced. I don't know if we're intru- in, I'm pretty sure we're introduced to this character, but PV's niece. Um, who's kind of like a daughter to him, um, who has a crush on Cliff. And, you know, there's that great personality that Dave Stevens brought to it, you know, and a great last page with Cliff and Betty making out, but this shadowy threat upon them. And it's like after this issue, I was in such a good mood. I was so happy. I can't wait for more. So um, if you honestly, if you've never read any Rocketeer, just pick this up. Yeah, you'll, mm-hmm. it's a great intro. Oh, it's, I, the I, I think what's, yeah. what's, what's great about this, like you talk about Wade's sensibility, right? Like Wade's hit, like, I mean, he's been around for for so long, but... I think he's really hit a definite kind of stride lately with with Daredevil and with this and um, looking forward to the Hulk book. Because there's all this like fancy-free kind of nostalgic 1940s stuff with, you know, Cliff and, and this young girl. And then, then you get these scenes on the ship with the, 
the surly sea captain, and a, a dude loses both hands. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, those things are kind of really jarring, but it totally works here. There's this sense of dread, yeah. and there's that two-page, it's, it's sort of a two-page layout with going into the hold of the ship. Yeah. We're first introduced to the, to the actual cargo of Doom. And th- those two pages are so gorgeous with the shadows and um, and just the way the colors fall on the objects. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful book. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So honestly, like, you don't need to know of any rocketeer. You don't need to, you know, you get a basis idea. That it's, a, it's the 1940s and this guy's got a rock jet pack. That's all you need to know. Um, and it's no surprise that the, the news is breaking that, um, that Disney is looking to reboot the rocketeer and do another movie. And it's got to be du- directly correlated to our reaction to these comics. Um, which is kind of cool to see. So um, we'll see that what comes of that. But yeah, that was my pick of the week. So um, so you know, coming in at a close second, mine scalped is the Rocketeer. Uh, this was the week where Batman Incorporated number three had its official release. It was supposed to come out the week of the Aurora shootings, and so it was pushed back, uh, rightly so, because it opens with a woman pointing a gun at a group of kids, which yep. at the time was probably too raw to happen. So we we get this issue, and and this. Run continues to be wonderful. Yep. Um, Matches Malone makes his return. Matches Malone was always one of my favorite elements of Batman. He's Batman's, yeah. he's Batman's bizarre multiple personality <laughs> underworld uh, undercover identity where he go, he he puts on this makeup and goes out as Matches Malone and gets the it. scoop and it's it just it's always been one of those strange things about Batman where clearly he's insane. Yep. And he really sort of loves being Matches Malone, who's <laughs> sort of this like. He's got the sunglasses and the mustache, and he's always chewing a match, and he's always, he's you know, he's got the the green suit, and he's just he's sort of his let loose character, and yeah. to, Morrison writing him was just so much fun. Yeah, and and he, and was able to distract from his identity by having Dick appear in the um, as Batman to threaten him, which I thought yep. was a nice touch. Although, so I don't I'm not read Nightwing, but so the Nightwing's got the cape, huh? Not in the book. That kind of threw me for a yeah. bit. I, I couldn't tell because it looked like he kind of. Took off the Batman cape from the Batman costume and put it on his Nightwing costume. Yeah, no, and and Bruce says the cape I approve, and he goes, I got back into it, so it looks like Nightwing now has a cape again, according to this. Well, one. at least in Morrison comics. Yeah, <laughs> well. Morrison's their own little bubble. I'd be fine with him having the cape, but he's just in his own bubble. We got the turn of Bat Cow. Yep. Um, just all kinds of great elements in this in this series. And and Robin uh, now is Redbird. Well, he found the loophole. If you get grounded as Robin. All you got to do is create a new ident- super identity and then you can go out and patrol yeah. because he only grounded Robin. He didn't gra- ground Redbird. Yep. So he's going to be a lawyer in the future. He just has that in his, in his back pocket there. Just, yeah. just this other additional superhero identity just in case. Um, Poor Alfred. Burnham is killing it. Burnham has been great. And as yeah. we said before, mm-hmm. if, he had been, if he had been the official you know, other artist to Quietly, we would have, yep. people would be talking about this whole Morrison run with more reverence. Yeah. Um, he's been fantastic. He's jumped by leaps and bounds. His characters are fun and interesting. It's a little bit exaggerated, but it works for the story. Um, great action sequences. This is, this is Burnham getting better and better at every issue. Yep. He's got that, that Damien pout. No mm-hmm. one else can do that quite as good. Yep, he's got it. So. Yeah, so uh, Morrison's run of Batman ends with issue twelve. This is issue three, so we're getting we're getting there. Yeah, well, at least you got a little ways to go. So, yeah. um, so the aforementioned before Watchmen, Doctor Manhattan number one came out, uh, written by JMS with pencil with art by Adam Hughes. Uh, Connor, you didn't get the last book, did you get this one? Yes. Paul, did you get this one? I, I checked this out. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was skeptical because I you, I know Connor, you were excited about Adam Hughes interiors, and I was like, whatever. And then I read this, I was like, oh, okay, I see now. <laughs> why why really? is this guy doing interiors He's, he hasn't really drawn i mean way way back when i was a young and he did fill in stuff on justice league with keith giffen and he did a super uh, star trek ogn like he was doing interiors yeah um but he quickly found he either wasn't fast enough or he made way more money doing covers and commissions and he dropped well, yeah, off the, the interior game the, i don't even know the last time he did the, the brian uh, boland game you know yeah basically yeah. He, he he did the ghost for dark horse like he did a bunch of books that were that were great looking, but he just does, I don't he just doesn't do them anymore. So this was a no brainer. Even though I thought story wise it was a little overwritten, a little gobble gobbledygooky, but uh, I just I just just you know took in all the pages. He's fantastic. Yeah, that's um, I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. It's it's a little bit overwrought in terms of I see I totally see what he's doing. I think he's you know trying to go for that you know the symmetry kind of stuff and the stuff that Alan Moore did in the original Watchmen book, um, but. Uh, leave that to Alan Moore, kind of. Um, not that not that this was bad. It's just that you could you could see what he was doing, and that took me out a little bit. Yeah, because well, the story is trying other, so hard. Yeah, the story is a whole other story, which I'm not even want to touch upon. I mean, I and I don't know if I'm. I'm I kind of want to continue it just out of perverse curiosity. 
mm-hmm. as to see where he takes it. But yeah, again, JMS seems to be leading the charge on the I'm going to bring these stories as close to the Watchmen as possible, which is mm-hmm. not the point of view that we want. So, you know. Yeah. I might just get it and read it without the words, just yeah. uh, read it storytelling from the art-wise, because I just love his art. He was one of my favorite artists for a long time when yeah. he actually did interiors. Yeah. The art was great. The art was great. Do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I like, and I, I like the theme overall, the, the sort of the clock thing, and then the mystery in a box, and like the opening pages. Like, oh, that's kind of cool, but sort of maybe work, would work better as like a short, like a five-pager kind of thing than as, I don't know what this is going to be as a miniseries, because... That's just, it's a, I don't know. There's a lot going on in there, and it's very, I don't know. It's trying very hard. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for sure. Um, but um, in terms of trying very hard, but in a good way, um, schedule-wise, I haven't had a chance to talk about them yet, but the last uh, Marvel annual featured with work by Alan Davis came out this week with, Alan, with w- the Wolverine annual. Um, and if you weren't paying attention or you're not an Alan Davis fan, I mean, if you're an Alan Davis fan and you didn't notice this or whatever, go back and pick up the Daredevil annual and the Fantastic Four annual because basically what this was was a Alan Davis written and drawn uh, clandestine story that takes place in the Marvel Universe. Um, and I don't know why they chose to do it through these annuals. Why so they, people would buy them. Yeah, I, I guess right. maybe. <laughs> yeah, but this – I mean, Alan Davis. I mean, I know we raved when he did that thing, that Avengers thing with Bendis like a year ago or whatever. This is – it's just it's just a good Alan Davis. It's just it, this whole thing has been great. Um, and I, I've read everything he's done on Clandestine. Um, and so it was good to see these characters kind of come back. But the question is, are you a big Clandestine fan? Um, all right. I mean, they're not the I mean, they're not the they're not the greatest characters in the world. And a lot of it is the the herky jerky, like did the series, went away for a while, came back, did another one, went away for a while. Um, but it's nice to see him back. And they're clearly characters he cares about and loves. Um, and it was cool to see them interweave with the with the Marvel Universe in this way. Um, but uh, it just looked beautiful. Just looked beautiful. So I got I got to be honest. I tried the Daredevil one. Um, I think they they put it in my in my bin because I'm pulling Daredevil regularly. Uh, it was not for me. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. The, I had some, I, I don't know I had some anatomy issues. Um, I'm, I don't want I don't want to get hanged here for the, for the Alan Davis thing, but um, I'm I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I did. Oh, I love Alan Davis. Anyway, I won't hold it against you. Did you like anything? Did I like anything at yeah. all? What in you comics? Like Planetoid? Yeah. Oh, just mean the books of this week? Yeah, yeah. I love Planetoid <laughs> number three. Um, I think that was, that, was is... a, that was a pale attempt at a segue for you, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a Planetoid number three. It's it's Ken Garing is doing this whole book by himself and doing it very well and with a flourish. And uh, this, I think, is my favorite issue so far. Um, He'd mentioned before this book was coming out that this was going to be about, you know, so we've got this Silas character and he's taking charge of this community on this this planetoid where everyone's been marooned and they're being oppressed by this gang of robots and... um, he said it was gonna it was gonna be like about how you how you form like a like a society and how you survive together in a group and I was like okay that sounds kind of interesting but how can you really do that in you know one issue and um, this was just from top to bottom just great storytelling great sort of cartooning in terms of you know there's a great page to, uh, of uh, you know Silas showing these villagers how to weld. Um, how to repair things, how are they going to take care of agriculture and grow food and um, there's these random frog people that are in the camp and some of the people don't want the frog people around because they don't do anything and they don't contribute and they're weird frog people um, and it's just, it's great it's, I mean, the, the, I think the previous issue was more of the action stuff with um, more adventuring and in terms of the big robots and stuff. And there's a little bit of that in here, but this is just how you survive and how you form a community. And that's a tall order for one issue. And he absolutely did it. And um, it's a really poignant issue. And um, I think he's doing great work here. I think, well, I, th- I think the story of Planetoid really has been that the first issue he had worked on for a very long time, put it out there. It was up on Graphically. It got published on Image, and then Image picked it up, and then he had to quickly do two and three. Yeah. And so it's been curious to see how he's grown as a storyteller and a creator and how he's improved just in three issues. Mm-hmm. So. Well, just looking at it, I had the thought more than anything that if you're really good then you're gonna, and you get noticed, you're going to get work because yep. he's really good. And the thing, the thing is we see a lot of you know, self-published stuff 
through iFanboy and through graphically, and you know, a lot of it's not very good. Yeah, well, and, but, and, and the like, thing is, and, and and it's tough to you know, uh, true, a lot of it's not very good, and a lot of it could be because people, you know, it's early in their career, there's not enough practice, there's not, you know what I mean? Like the people who aren't very good can get better. Sure, but the point uh, is, he yeah. was very good, yeah, exactly. and he got seen right away and got published. So yeah. I mean, he he deserved it because yeah. he's really good. Yeah, so. and it's impressive that he does it all on his own. Yeah, so happy to see it. So yeah, yeah. cool. So if you're like Ken Garing, because he did this exact thing, you're a creator or a publisher, and you're looking to get your book out there in front of people so that people might publish your book, or you publish it yourself and make your own money, uh, you can do it easy and fast. You can go to graphically.com. We've got the best solution for you. You can upload your books, your comics, your children's books, your sketchbooks, your photography books, anything with graphics in it, and just a few simple steps. You're on your way to getting the Kindle store, the Barnes & Noble Nook store, the Kobo store, and, of course, the Apple iBook store. There's no need to have readers find a specific app made for comics. You can send your readers to the digital bookstores where people are going to look for books already. Uh, you can find all that in, in about pricing and services at our website. Go to graphically.com for more details. Excellent. So the last issue, um, issue number four of Super Crooks by Mark Miller and uh, Lenny Liu came out. And I've been enjoying the series. And this last issue, I enjoyed it that much more. And this, this was great. This is Ocean's Eleven uh, executed by supervillains and was a ton of fun. The ending was crazy and stuff happened. And, you know, we had, we had clear, you know, resolvement. As well as leaving a little, you know, window open for stuff to revisit these characters in the future, but this delivered on the promise on every level. So uh, when it comes out in trade, I would strongly recommend Connor you check it out, and even you, Paul. Cool. Yeah. The well, Flash number twelve return of Francis Manipal to art duties after a few months off or a few issues off, and it really does make the big difference with this. So story does drawing it. Um, I also thought the story was really strong. They're getting better. You know, there they're, 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 had been some clunkiness to their storytelling, but I think in this issue, it was really well executed. The, the rogues are all fighting each other and fighting the Flash, and the Flash is still... I find it really interesting, thinking about it, Barry Allen, one of the most beloved superheroes of all time, if you go back to those old stories, you know, everyone loved Barry, the, the town loved him, he had a museum, he was everybody's favorite superhero. But in this, in this book, he is pu- pu- public enemy number one. Yeah. And it's an interesting place to have Barry Allen be in, where he basically can't even go save people from it, you know, everyday disasters because yeah. he, everyone thinks he did, screwed up the town up because uh, somebody else didn't lie about it. And of course, uh, he so, just keep he keeps stumbling into trouble, and, yeah, and he has so. to he has to live basically invisibly. He has yeah. to constantly be vibrating so no one can see him. And I think that's a very interesting place to have him in. So I yeah. think story wise, plot wise, it's a great place to go. They're just learning how to tell the story, and I think yeah. it's it it does work better when Mind and Paul draws it. All I know is that when I see that two page uh, title page spread with yeah. the with the flag in the bus reflection as the flash runs yeah. by. Oh, God, I love those pages. So The, the, le- that, the letters are the buildings in the reflection of the bus, I mean, or the yeah. limo or whatever. How great is that? Oh, God. Yeah. So. And uh, apparently after crashing in the island, the castle lost moved to French Central City. Yeah, apparently. That seems weird. Um, so, so tragedies amongst tragedies, and I'm probably the only one who's mourning this, although I know I'm not because I talked to a bunch of people this week. Sadly, this week uh, was Glamour Puss number 26, and it was the final issue. Um, mainly just because the orders just weren't there and Dave Sim couldn't keep it up. And I know what everybody says about Dave Sim and, and all that sort of stuff, but it, it is a goddamn shame because he was doing some great stuff from a comic history standpoint and with his uh, uh, Alex Raymond, uh, Stan Drake story that he was doing in here, as well as really honing his art. Um, and I know he's doing work for Starkings and Elephant Men. So if you want to see one of the one of the best cr- independent creators of our generation continuing to work, check out Elephant Men. Check out Glamour Puss. He said he's going to continue to finish this Alex Raymond story and do like a graphic novel or something with it, where the strange death of Alex Raymond. Um, and I hope he just finishes it. But there's just a heartbreaking um, letter at the end of it where he explains what happened and talk about Diamond and the orders and what he's tried to do, what he tried to do to keep it up. And it's just it's just it's just it's it's sad because you know because it's it, he was doing really really great work and it just it's just another example of how this marketplace is not supporting independent books um, that are off the beaten path. So it, it's sad, especially when it's like a per, a really personal project. Yeah, clearly, yeah. Yep. So. so although although I will I will take some humor out of in the opening parts of his um of his what you know kind of what's happening he kind of sums up you know post Cerebus life for him and he just doesn't understand why uh, Judenhaas his Holocaust story, uh, graphic novel didn't do better. 
<laughs> you remember Juden Haas? Yeah, I remember Juden. I saw Juden Haas on the shelf at the comic store this week. Yeah, so sad. Um, I've not been able to shut up about Untold Tales of Punisher Max number three this week. Not, I've included in every feature I've been involved in. Um, and you can actually go back and listen to the Don't Miss podcast from this week where I talked to writer Megan Abbott. Um, the reason I was so excited because she's one of my favorite novelists and she writes crime stuff. And um, she was going to write a Vertigo or she wrote a Vertigo crime uh, graphic novel. Which one? That line folded. So oh. it's, it's called Normandy Gold, um, but that out. line folded before they could even get an artist on it. So, um, but hopefully there will be there will be wings for that, you know, in some medium. Um, and then her her new book, Dare Me, which is about like I don't want to say killer cheerleaders because that's a little bit disingenuous, but it's it's cheerleaders and they're mean and stuff. And uh, that's good, that that got optioned to be a film. So and she's writing that. So exciting! But this Punisher book, I'm not usually a Punisher guy. Um, you don't have to really be a Punisher reader or to have read one and two from this miniseries. This is the Frank Castle, the Max version that Jason Aaron killed off earlier this year, right? Yep. That was the, that was the end of that series. But this is like lost stories involving him. And um, this is sort of like a, um, a suburban noir story, a shadow of the past kind of thing. And um, admittedly, I, I sort of figured out the twist as I was reading it, but it wasn't one of those like, oh, that's what they're doing. It was, oh, that's what they're doing. That's, that's really interesting. And so it's just this great little noir story, and the art's really good. It's Matteo Bafagni. I'm not, I'm not really familiar with, with his work, but um, it looked good. Grady said ribbit cover. Um, I hope she does more comics. Cool. Um, because she's really good with the, the narration. It's she's got great prose. Um, also in that same crime vein, Lobster Johnson, The Prayer of Neferu, which is uh, Mignola and Arcudi, and I'm blanking on the artists. Um, but it's it's a very it's sort of a, a cartoonier style than what we're used to with with Lobster Johnson and with the the, the Hellboy related stuff. Um, I don't know what to compare it to, really. There's, there's moments that are li- a little Darwin cookie, a little bit Bruce Tim. Um, it's somewhere in there, but it's just it's another great little one shot, and it's about these these mummies that have gone missing, and Lobster Johnson is just out for justice, and it's all he wants. It's all he wants. Uh, the, art, the art was Wilfredo Torres. There you go, yeah. and uh, it looks it looks good, and and um, it's very it's Somni- very esque yeah, oh, no, yeah no. I can see I'm sorry, I was, the cover's by Tanchi Zanjek, so that's why I was looking at the cover. <laughs> that's that's a little bit more somni yeah. than the interior. But there but there but there's the same kind of um um whimsy to the the art in, inside as well. So but it's it's about, you know, mummies going missing and you find out that it's they're trying to, you know, bring back, you know, evil spirits from ancient Egypt and it in, it involves having Particular um, clerics from ancient Egypt uh, sacrificed, so they have to dig up the mummies, and or actually they steal them from the museum. Now, and, rarely, uh, rarely do you hear mummies are missing, and it's because someone just misplaced them. Usually, it's some some nefarious scheme. It's like a also, wrong cargo container. Something. This is very if if you dig like Raiders of the Lost Ark and and that Indiana Jones kind of vibe. This is very much like that. There's like a big dude with a huge sledgehammer, and he's trying to kill him. And it's like it's like that big Nazi guy from. Uh, Raiders, and so it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Whenever clerics are involved, it's always good. Of course. <laughs> so, excellent. All right, so those are the books that came out this uh, week that we enjoyed. Um, go to ifanboy.com slash comics. You can do your poll list. You can rate and review books, and you can make your picks of the week. Uh, and Connor, do you want to walk us through the top five picks of the week from the community? The top five picks of the week from the community at the time of recording are number five, The Rocketeer, Cargo of Doom, number one, with 5.3% of the votes. Number four was The Amazing Spider-Man 692 with 6.7% of the votes. Number three was Invincible 94 with 7.6% of the votes. Number two was Batman Incorporated number three with 15.5% of the votes. And the number one pick was Scalped number 60 with 43.7% of the votes. So the majority of the community agreed with you, and I dodged a bullet. You dodged a bullet. <laughs> it was going to be your blackest night number one. It was. On Across the, the bear. On to the user reviews. Our first review comes from Stratichuk S, who reviewed iVampire number 12. Um, this is a book that I literally haven't thought about for a year. Um, after it launched. <laughs> yep. um, and Stratichuk S gave the book a 5 out of 5 on story and a 5 out of 5 on art, so rating it a total 5 stars. And 1% of you made it your pick of the week at the time of recording. And Stratichuk S says, I just mumbled that name, I can't believe that iVampire keeps getting better each month. 
Uh, Andrea Sorrentino handles the art duties again. It's amazing how good these pages are when Sorrentino is drawn every issue, especially since most other DC books are played by fill-in artists. Not that all fill-in artists are bad, but Sorrentino's style perfectly fits the tone of the story that Fialkov is telling, and I can't imagine anyone else drawing it. Fialkov continues to blend some great humor and character work with a dark and compelling story. He's almost created a new kind of vampire story with zombie vampire vampire hunters, or at least one that feels unique to stand on its own. He ends this issue with another huge, completely unexpected status quo shakeup that should give any curious or skeptical fan a great chance to try out one of DC's best and my personal favorite with the next issue. So, uh, positive words there for what Fialkov's done, and I had no no fill-ins, same creative team, 12 issues, that's an accomplishment at DC these days. Especially also, yeah, the, the new 52. Yeah. That, that it's still out. Yeah. That it survived that first cut. Surprisingly for a genre book like that. It's good, it's good yeah. to see. PM Vaughn reviewed Venom 23 and gave a story of 4 out of 5 and the art of 4 out of 5. And at the time of recording, nobody made it their pick of the week. And PM Vaughn says, I was worried about poor Cullen Bunn having to pick up after Remender's great run of Flash Thompson. But he quickly jumped into the mind of Flash and made me believe that he, this could still work. I have not been a big fan of Damien Hellstrom, but I don't remember him going evil, which seems common knowledge to flash in the book. Silas continued to make this book dark and gritty, but still have the feel of it being a Spidey book. All around, I'm excited to see what kind of ride Mr. Bun takes us on, and I hope he drives Flash further into the dirt before than before. Keep, keep up the good work, guys, and you can keep taking my money. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, Colin did a great jo- is doing a great job taking over the reins on Venom, and and I don't know if Hellstrom's a bad guy. Rather, he's the son of Satan, so I think he is always straddling the line there. He's always so on the edge. Rep. Yeah, yeah. Because he was just in Journey in a Mystery on the side of Angels, so uh, you know, who knows? But, he used to be in New Avengers. He was on there in there too. He wasn't in New Avengers. He was in the was he? he was in the, yeah, remember that new the Avengers book with? Oh, was it the Avengers book? It was the one that it was the one that Stuart Eminem was drawing. It was New Avengers. Oh yeah. With uh, with the new Doctor Doctor Strange, Super- Brother Voodoo, Brother Voodoo, Brother Voodoo, yeah, and then yeah, 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 yeah. Hellstrom was in there for a while. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he was a he was a defender or a champion or one of those teams. I don't know. Anyway, um, anyway, go to ifanboy.com slash comics, do your poll list, and come back, write a review, get it on the show. On to the email. <laughs> First email comes from Sebastian, uh, who's known as Bub six four eight eight two on ifanboy.com. Well. It's just like the bub in the nose. Is that a zip code? What is that? Anyway, so Sebastian says, one of the truly depressing outcomes of Avengers vs. X-Men, so far anyway, we'll see if Marvel lets it stand, is that Black Panther has annulled his marriage to Storm in AVX number 9. Uh, Peter and Mary Jane, Clark and Lois, never happened. Scott and Jean or Madeline, and look at them soon like Emma, not anymore. Hawkeye and Mockingbird, nope. Oliver and Dinah, uh, actually, I'm not, sh- I'm not reading Green Arrow. Betting on nope, though. Now T'Challa and Aurora join the ranks of failed marriages in comics. We have Reed and Sue, who seem to be sacred cows, but otherwise, who is still married? Welcome to the club, North Star. I give you two years tops. <laughs> I understand that in serialized fiction, it's difficult to keep a static relationship interesting, but it's also hard to make Dr. Doom or Lex Luthor seem like a credible threat when we know the hero will beat them every issue, yet those challenges are risen to month after month. Why is it that monogamy can defeat our heroes time after time when aliens, clones, <laughs> Nazis, and zombies can't? Do you think that writers should make more of an effort to show how sticking around and fighting for your marriage is a heroic way as defeating the Joker? Um, that, that's fantastic. Yeah, that, that's a great email. That's uh, that's a good one. Yeah, so Black Panther and Storm are no more as of AVX. I don't know if they actually annulled it because doesn't that mean? Yeah, they, he annulled it. He, he annulled, annulled it. it. Does that mean yeah. they never did? Really? It? Does that mean? They yeah, never it means did it never happened. But does that mean they never did it? I, listen, he said we, I've annulled the marriage. I don't know what the rules are <laughs> in in Wakanda. Maybe you can have sex and still annul a marriage. <laughs> um, I'm not, I wasn't surprised they did that because that always felt ham fisted to me anyway in the first place. You know, it's like I, hey. <sighs> Yeah, black guy, black woman. Have... Let's put them together. Like it just seemed a little forced. Yeah. I don't have the opinion on that particular relationship because I don't really read yeah. those books. But the comparison you made is not a ch- true one. Uh, you're talking, you know, you're talking about taking out a compl- entire facet of a person, and when you when you when you marry them, you can t- then that way you can't have any more r- romantic stories. And of course, you can have romance in a marriage. But we're talking about fiction here. We're not talking about real real life. Right. You know, you're talking the same thing happened with Peter when, when they told Mary Jane. Is you take away. The entire thing of the bumbling guy trying to find love, and, and that's part of the character. And that's in serialized fiction, that's why in TV shows that run forever, people break up and get back together and break up and get back together because it's boring otherwise. And you, I mean, he said it in the email, it's because it's serialized fiction. That's the reason. It's different than fighting a hero and villain every time because that's part of it is fighting, part of it's the, the, the personal stuff, and you're getting rid of the personal stuff. When you when you get to have have them be married, I mean Clark and Lois became really boring as a couple when they got married. You know, They'd be on, on the show too, and Lois and Clark it killed the TV show. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, because you lose that element, you lose that tension, you lose that excitement, and that's what happens. That's why every TV show or mo- you know, movies don't count because they're not serialized. But TV show, 
you know, there's the will they, won't they couple because you go, you go, will they too soon? And there's no more, won't they? And then no one cares. So, yeah. uh, that's just what the way it goes. That's the way it's always been in fiction. I think you can tell good stories. It's just, I think it's, it's, it can be hard to sustain it yep. because when you get to that point, it's sort of like you've, it's not just taking out a facet of their character. It's also, you've reached a culmination in a very important part of their life being their romantic life. Mm-hmm. So there's nowhere there's nowhere else to go uh, unless you tell I don't know Blondie and Dagwood kind of domestic stories but I don't know. Well, that, um, that's the thing. Are there, are there, I, is there anybody left? Well, the, I don't think there's anybody left. Um, uh, just read and Sue. Just read and Sue. That's married. Yeah, I think it's just read and Sue. But um, and I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong, and everyone will tell us in the comments who's married and we're forgetting. Ralph and Sue Dibney are very happily married in the afterlife. In, in, yeah, in the afterlife. <laughs> um, now I got that stupid song by that stupid band. Was that scroll nut zippers? Don't say it. Oh, it is cool. oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, no, but but here's the thing: is that this is something that I've brought up. Like I'm, I'm lamenting the loss of romance comics in our world. That the the genre of romance comics seem to be gone, whether they're superheroes or not, and especially you know, but superheroes often did have that you know kind of that romance stuff like that. And, and I think you can still do it. It's just I think nobody wants to touch it with a ten foot pole. So. Um, well, no, it's just, it, 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 for serialized fiction, it kills that element of it. Yeah, it I mean, does. It's just, I mean, it, it, these are not real life. We're not, no one's saying you can't have romance in a marriage. and It's not the same. It's just yeah. you're following a story and you need there to be tension and the romance. I'm, and, going to be, I'm going to be devastated when little little depressed boy gets married. Yeah, I doubt that'll ever happen the way he's going. That book is great, by the way. I got an outquote on the volume three. Did you see that? My my, there's a quiet poeticness to this book. It's like one of the best outquotes. Nice. Ever. Yeah, that's a great book. Anyway, um, all right. Well, if you if you have any more defense of marriage, you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com. Don't be happy Yikes. to hear from you. Um, but no, any other questions, you can email us at contact.ifanboy.com. Um, it's been a while since we've done any voicemail, so we want to make sure we had some time. We got some good ones. You all have done a good job with it. Um, and our first one's got an interesting business question. Hey guys, this is Ian from Nebraska, and I'm calling to ask your guys' thoughts on companies like the Big Two creating their own type of Kickstarter programs where they could pitch ideas to the public and have them uh, essentially say that they will buy the comics before they start putting them in production uh, so that you could have new, new stories with characters that you like um, and not have to worry about cancellations. Uh, let me hear what you think. Thanks. Bye. Oh, Kickstarter. It's all the rage right now in comics. Everybody seems to have a Kickstarter. And it's every, every third email we get is asking to promote a Kickstarter. And a lot of people wonder why Marvel and DC or how long until they have their own Kickstarter. Ron, why won't they do it? It's, well, it's, and it's this, you know, Kickstarter will solve all of our problems, let's be sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and actually, it was funny because I heard this, um, our buddies over on 11 O'Clock Comics talk about this a lot. Uh, Jason Wood is very bullish on Kickstarter and loves it and thinks it's the new model and blah, blah, blah. Um, Marvel, and, as far, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have no inside knowledge. I can't speak of this, but I don't see Marvel or DC or Image or Dark Horse or any major publisher ever using Kickstarter or a Kickstarter model for several reasons. One is that um, it basically they have it already and it's called pre-orders. We've already seen examples of books getting announced and not getting ordered enough and then getting canceled. That's how it works. Like you want you want to avoid you want to avoid a book getting canceled, you'll pre-order it and that's what what keeps it from getting canceled. Mm. Um, secondly, um, in order to do that, they need to revolve details about who's working on it, what the book is. They want to give you information what you're getting. They're not going to reveal that intellectual property publicly if it's up in the air if they're going to do it or not. All right, and that's just that's just a kind of standard business kind of thing. Third is that, and I had a third one. I can't remember it now. Oh, third is that um, is that. Unfortunately, one of the problems with Kickstarter is that it flies in the – and not unfortunately. I mean I'm not applying this logic, but unfortunately for Kickstarter in the terms of comics is that the current model flies in the face of the direct market and retailers. And that's why they'll never touch with 10-foot pole because what you're doing is you're letting so people you- say, I will, I will pay for it in advance and you're going to give it to me directly. And it circumvents the entire distribution system. And oh yeah! If you thought they didn't like digital, they'll they would hit. They would hate, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. as far as I would be very surprised if any big publisher ever figures it out. If they wanted to get a little marketing bump, they would figure out a way to make it work and do all that sort of stuff. But it's not worth all the the, the pratfalls. It's not worth the legal problems of announcing a book and not doing it. Um, and also, they'll say that they already have a Kickstarter system in place, and it's called Diamond. You know, so. And you shouldn't. You we should note that you know that Top Cat did one. Yes, I do know that Top Cow did one. I do know, and that, and but what's interesting about what Top Cow did, the, and um, is that 
they the book the Kickstarter was to make the first five issues free, and they're still being distributed by by Diamond. Yeah. So they they figured out a way to play with it within the Diamond system. I don't think every I don't think Marvel and DC can can make that work on a scale basis. That's a one off basis. That was more of a marketing thing too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, really curious, but I don't th- I don't see it ever happening. I don't know if you guys disagree or what. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just sick of it. Yeah. Like I think I think I think there's good projects. I've certainly funded some of them, but like everyone everyone's got one. Everyone looks at it as as the savior because most of the high profile comic ones get funded. Yeah. And so everyone thinks that'll happen, but I've also seen high-profile ones not get funded. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's yeah. just a, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. All right. Um, on to our next question, which has got another business question. Hey, guys. This is Doug from Yarmouth, Maine. I was calling – I was listening to Word Balloon like several months ago, and Jonathan Hickman was on, and he thought the future of comic books were creators – taking licensed characters and just doing their version of them. I wanted to know what you guys thought. Is is there going to be more of that, you know, considering what's going on in Image now? Or do you think it's going to be a combination of that and the... um, Oh, I messed up. Well, but you know what I'm talking about. This won't probably get on air. Thanks. Well, that's a guaranteed way to get on the show. (laughs) That's true. Don't challenge us. Yeah, we will air it. All right. <laughs> um, I didn't hear this interview, so I don't know exactly what he's talking about, I and did, I'm not, I'm not I, quite sure from what Doug said what he means by licensed characters I, and what, what what Hickman meant by that's the future. I did listen to it, and I totally remembered what he was talking about. Basically, what he said was that the the future of of work for hire work, well, not not the future, but what Hickman sees is something that could ha- eventually happen. And I'm totally paraphrasing. I could get it wrong, and you guys will correct me if I did. But I believe what he said was they were talking about the concept of taking a Spider-Man book and telling a Spider-Man story. Out of continuity, a self-contained, you know, kind of thing, kind of like season one or Earth One or whatever, which we're starting to see. And I can can totally see that thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and dropping the forty years of continuity or one year of continuity if you're DC or you know whatever you know direction you want to. Um, It might take a while because us us fans are holding on to it for dear life, but um, I could see that going that same direction as well too. I would. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. You see so many really creative. You see so many creative things that go online, like just in forms in, in terms of like like sketches or things that people do or little web comics. Or like what if where they're doing things that you wouldn't be able to do in continuity. And the, the one that immediately comes to mind is James Stoko did that Spider Man in Vietnam thing. Yeah, I would. I don't know if you've seen this, but this is it was around the time that Orkstein was was coming up. I don't know if he did it before or after, but it's this story about what if Spider Man went to. Vietnam and was you know in the Vietnam War, and he's you know in his Spider-Man costume he's got like a backpack, so it's a slightly altered version of his costume. Well, it's what ifs, and it's it's all what ifs and things like that, which you could you could you could do and you could see. I mean, but what's interesting the question that he asked though is that how does it play into what's going on with creator-owned books and the boom and image and stuff like that? Is that Hick, what Hickman's talking about? Is still work for hire? It's still yeah. Marvel would still own Spider-Man in that case. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm saying that would be cool if they would, they would do that. If they would be cool with their properties going in that in weird directions like that. Yeah, but because um, yeah, that would be more of like an R-rated kind of thing. Right, but this and it, that's the, and they won't. But the, the, the two different things. This one is you know DC Marvel are licensed property books. I mean they they char- I mean they they own those characters. They're not licensed themselves, but they are essentially licensed characters. They license to other people. Yeah. So he's really talking about the DC Marvels you know side of things, yeah. uh, which I can totally see happening that way. So um, I don't know, but the creator on stuff—they totally creators totally own. They can do whatever they want. They could do a a character in Vietnam if they want to because they have total control of it. They don't need to worry about a company above them. So, but I, I can see it at some point in the future Disney saying we want to put out Marvel comics as little digest books, yeah. you know, for at Walmart and not worry about comic stores anymore. I can totally yeah. see that happening. Yeah, totally. All right, we got one last question that wants to know why we don't do something. Hey, this is uh, Brandon from Denton, Texas, and uh, love the guy's show and um, wanted to know, uh, I always hear you guys talk about uh, what's good in comics, and uh, but I very rarely hear you guys talk about what's bad in comics and wanted to know if you'd ever thought about doing a maybe special edition on things like Superman at Earth's End or One More Day or uh, Sultry Teenage Super Foxes, because um, I think you guys are at your... Uh, Cynical, comedic best when you talk about things you don't like. Uh, anyway, want to know if uh, there's anything you guys thought about doing? Um, uh, love the show. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, we've never thought about it. Uh, <laughs> we're stretched to the limit as it is, but um, 
we just we that's just not our ethos, and it's, that's that's not to say we don't ever talk about bad stuff. Clearly, we do, uh, but you know, we try to only highlight the stuff we like because there's so much negativity out there anyway, and it's and also. It's not as special. If we spent every week ripping on books, it yeah. would get really boring really fast. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not. Gotta, it's got to happen organically. Yeah. You know, it just, it just, the, I think, talking about the cynical energy, like, I don't know. I don't think of it as being that cynical. I, I think when it, when it comes up, it's just. It's usually frustration. A, cause you frustration, want it to be yeah. It's, it's like out of a love for comics. And I don't, I don't think you'd ever want to approach it like just, just to be critical just to be critical and I don't want to do that show yeah no exactly and, th- and that's the thing is like our mandate has always we talked about at the beginning of the show has always been our platform what we believe in I mean, it's, it's, it's what we believe it's, it's what we believe aside, aside from it's what we're about aside from respect for women it's um, about celebrating accelerating the, the, celebrating comics and loving them and and now that said you know I've, I've been a critic of some sort for f- Jesus 12 years t- no the music stuff oh even more than yeah so years. so for me now it's it's Jesus, 17 years where I've been writing about things critically and talking about things critically, where I was doing music stuff before comics. And, you know, and it's a challenge because you got to take the good with the bad. And, you know, it's, and like Connor, like you said, it's real easy to shit on something and be one of those people who tear something apart and make fun of the art and all stuff like that. But our approach is like, listen, we're going to talk, we're not always going to talk about the positive things. Our negative things will come up, but it's got to be done in a critical way. And, and even like Josh and I got in an argument where, like, when I was talking about the Captain Marvel book and I was, I said it was a shit show and I hated the art, you know, Josh was really challenging me because he's saying, okay, we'll be more specific because you can't just say it's a shit show. You got to say, okay, what is about it? And that really made me take a look at and say, okay, what was it about the storytelling, the character, you know, the way the characters are are rendered, you know, and and all that sort of thing, um, you know, and to be much more a much more fair approach to negatively um, uh, reviewing something, um, yeah. you know, because because we, we want to be better than just saying, oh, it's crap. You don't, yeah, you don't want to rag on something. I mean, if if you're going to talk about something in, in a negative light, at least you know try to. Use it as a, like a teaching moment or something. I mean, not to be like pedantic, but to say, what can, what what can we learn from this? Yeah. What's why why is it bad, and what what could they do to make it better? Um, and usually, when something's bad, we mention it. It's because, like we said before, we're frustrated, or because it was something that's you know so out of the realm we had to talk about it. Or, or it, it was it surprising. It makes it more it was, special when you know something, we talk about something, something that's bad, you know that we really felt like it needed to be talked about. Yeah, like if it was a surprise, if you're expecting it to be good and it wasn't, why wasn't it? Where did it miss? All that sort of thing. You know, like, right. we, I mean, we could easily sit here and, and there's a litany of titles I could show you that we could tear apart and make fun of, but it doesn't really help anybody, you know, so. Um, and I also try not to read anything I don't I don't think is good. Yeah, it's a good point too. Yeah, we don't want to read bad comics, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. So, if you've got any questions, you can call us on our voicemail line at one eight 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 fanboys. It's one eight 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 three two six two six nine seven. You almost lost it. I almost time. after after three hundred forty nine episodes, I almost forgot the phone number. Um, so, yeah, calling the voicemail is always great. We got ton, we got great voicemails this week, and please keep them coming in. It's always good to hear from you. And, and we do some other podcasts. Um, uh, the Don't Miss podcast, like I mentioned before, I talked to Megan Abbott about Untold Tales of Punisher Max number three. The new one coming up on Monday is with Ian Edginton about DC Comics National Comics Looker number one. <laughs> so it's a strange character from DC's past. She started out in The Outsiders, and yep, the um, now they're going to they're going with the vampire route, which is in that character's lore, and uh, very interesting. So uh, check that out on Monday. Yep. Cool. And um, if you need something else to listen to, you can also check out the Make Comics podcast. Uh, took a week off because Josh was on vacation, but he'll be, I believe he'll be back. I probably won't be back next week, but he'll be back eventually with more. We should more. commit him to a two-hour episode. Yeah, we should. He'll we, be back with an extravaganza two-hour episode featuring well, he's Alan got, Moore, Stan Lee. Yeah, Frank Miller. Uh, he's got all those great guests lined yeah. up. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> it's it's going to be great. Um, but the important thing is if you like Don't Miss or if you like uh, Make Comics, go to iTunes and subscribe to him. Uh, make sure you don't miss an episode. So definitely go subscribe to him. Uh, this is episode 349, and which means next week is 350, which is the extravaganza email episode where we talk about the pick of the week, which will now be Ron's. Yes. And then we spend the rest of the however many hours answering the listener email. We've got a bunch sent in, but you can, you've got one more week to send them in uh, to get on the show. The deadline is August 29th at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Subject line 350, send it to contact at ifanboy.com and, you know, send them in. We've got a bunch. We, we can always take more, and we'd like to go as long as we've got the emails going, yep. so... So please feel free to do so, and uh, it'll be fun. We're going to do it live, we think, on video, so keep an eye out for the twitter.com slash ifanboyfeed and for ifanboy.com itself. We'll have a post about it. We're not quite sure exactly when, which is why we're not telling you now, but we're going to know. As soon as we know, we'll post it, and you'll know, and you can come watch us 
uh, spiral out of control live on video. Yes, I will be going to the liquor store the day before and stocking up. I'm so. making a special trip. Excellent. No, no questions are too personal. Yes, so none. Yeah, unfiltered. Now we're gonna we're pulling back the curtain. Um, yeah. So send them in. You got one more week to send them in. We want to, you know, send some fun ones in. There's been some good ones, but, but in the past, trashy. Just, and, yeah. and importantly, keep an eye. And I know you mentioned this, Connor, but keep an eye on ifanboy.com and on to our Twitter to find out when we're recording it because I'm I'm pretty sure we got this whole video thing locked down. We're gonna do it live, so you're gonna want to watch that. It's always gonna be fun. And that's gonna be on Thursday, August 30th. That'll be when we're recording it. So yeah. keep that in mind if you are interested in watching the madness. It'll be Thursday at some point. Uh, probably in the afternoon if you're on the west west coast, probably in the evening if you're on the east coast. We're not quite sure yet, yeah. so ch- check it out. So you can get all that information as well as Don't Miss and Make Comics Podcast and all that other stuff at ifanboy.com, our home. You can also go read Connor's Pick of the Week review for Scout number 60 as well as Josh's uh, review of, of Darwin Cook's Parker, The, sco- uh, the Score, um, the Book of the Month review. It's available at ifanboy.com. Why is that funny? Because uh, um, I'm reading the script and I realize that Josh isn't even here and he still uh. got me with the script bomb. <laughs> Oh, baby. Um, but if you go to ifanboy.com slash about, you can find all of our <laughs> personal Twitter accounts and um, other ways to get in touch with us. And the most important thing is go to twitter.com slash ifanboy or facebook.com slash ifanboy and follow us or like us so you don't miss anything when you're on your uh, various social networks. Wow, that was good. I didn't even notice that. Was that was great. He got me. The fucker got me. <laughs> As I said before, you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com for the show every week. But if you're doing it for 350 show, make sure 350 is in the subject line. You can leave us a voicemail at 888-FANBOYS, which is 326-2697. Make sure you tell us where you're from and who you are and don't worry about us not getting it on the air we'll decide what gets on the air or not <laughs> if you dig us write us a review in itunes or better yet tell your friends about us introduce your mom to podcast spread the ifanboy word and, and if i may uh check out the fuzzy typewriter podcast you're back it's my show the most the most recent one i did was with uh with josh and, and my regular co-host dave and we talked about jaws and uh if you got the if you picked up the blu-ray i know we all did um, it's a it's a good uh, uh, commentary there, so uh, I hope you enjoy that. We had a lot of fun doing it. I was very angry you didn't invite me onto it, but then I realized that uh, Josh probably would have strangled me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was probably was a good idea not to invite me onto that one. So I thought it would also be a good send off for Josh because he's going on this crazy biking trip, and I figured it was it was very likely that he could you know fall over and like break his neck or something. It can still so. happen. Where you know it's, he's not out of the woods yet. So, so th- but th- but this this would be his last like his last hurrah basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 I see that. Smart. Mercy thing. Hey, if we're lucky, you know. <laughs> well, that's awful. I'm kidding. I don't want Josh. I love Josh. I don't want him to be hurt. But um, man, that Jaws Blu-ray looks beautiful, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, they did a great job on that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, great show, Paul. Thanks for filling in. Always a pleasure. Always fun. All right, cool. So we'll see you next week. I'm Ron. I'm Connor. I'm Paul. <laughs>